Hello, and welcome to the Presto Music Podcast. Among several anniversaries falling in 2023 is a Tudor double whammy, the 400th anniversary of the deaths of William Byrd and Thomas Wilkes. Not surprisingly, many artists and ensembles are marking the event. One particularly exciting project is a collaborative album called Tom and Will, bringing together two very acclaimed groups who've never recorded together before, the King Singers and Fretwork File Consort. A little while ago, I had a chat with Patrick Donaghy from the King Singers and Richard Boothby from Fretwork about the album. It includes madrigals and instrumental works by both Bird and Wilkes, as well as new commissions by James McMillan and Roderick Williams. Have a listen. The, the two groups that you're representing, the King Singers and Fretwork, you're obviously very, very successful in your own right, and on, on your own sort of terms. Um, why did you come together for this thing? What brought that about? Well... We were in the King Singers. We were talking during the pandemic about how, when it got to 2023, we would celebrate the anniversary of Bird. And then we also clocked it was also the anniversary for Wilkes, who died in the same year. Um, and we quite quickly got to the conclusion that the sort of repertoire we could explore, which would be kind of, we would be the right people to explore it, was their kind of more cheeky, madrigalian and domestic music. Um, that's the kind of stuff our group's been doing for a long time. But we also quite quickly came to the realisation that we could do a lot more with it and do a lot more interesting things and make a lot more different textures if we involved vials in it. Um, it means we could open up consort songs, which is a whole genre of their music. Um, we could experiment a little bit with some of the madrigals and we could hear some of their innominates, which were kind of semi-domestic, mm -hmm. semi-sacred yeah. Um, vial pieces and then as soon as you decide you want to involve vials fretwork were the first name of course that came up um, and so I pluckily emailed Richard and said how about it and I said of course immediately yes I mean you know who wouldn't say yes to the Kings I guess uh, yeah. no uh, it was a great idea and um, I, I'm not quite sure whether I'd, I w we were thinking that far ahead and uh, I, I think we probably hadn't realised that it was the the 400th anniversary of the death of Bird, and so um, that was very timely. So we were, we were absolutely on board. And one of the great things about it is that the sort of level of fun that the uh, the King Singers bring to uh, their work. I mean, we we tend to stick to sort of quite authentic stuff, you know, maybe a bit po-faced, and um, and they have a great capacity for. Taking unusual ideas. I mean, and especially the thing that struck me was uh, was Browning, which was uh, an instrumental piece based on a, on a folk song. And um, they thought, well, you know, can we join in? And so they did, and it was great. Particularly the concert the other night. Actually, it was um, a really really wonderful moment. Their their gradual involvement in the piece until they they join us completely at the end. So one of the Wilkes madrigals actually seems to be you reckon a world premiere, which is quite impressive given the sort of time, the time between Wilkes and now. Uh, so this is, say, dear, when will you your frowning leave? And I think we all know what that means. How did you come across that? And, you know, where has that been hiding for the last 400 years? Well, it's not, it's, it, well, several things to say here. <laughs> Let's firstly put it through my, my own narrative as I was starting to think about it. Um, it's been hiding in plain sight, really, in that it's part of a, a big collection of madrigals for five and six voices that he published. And though he published it back in the early 1600s, um, not all of those madrigals have become popular. They've not all been edited and in wide circulation. And this one looked like it would suit our forces 
fairly well, a good spread of voices, it fit our ranges and that kind of thing. So I consulted Mr. Google and I could not find a single recording of it anywhere. And, you know, I, I really did try quite hard to see if I could, I'd like, I firstly wanted to hear what it sounded like before mm. programmed it, but there really wasn't one that I could get hold of. And so um, we tried it out from the only edition I could find. And so our working assumption was that no one had done it before, which wouldn't be that weird, to be honest, because there's niche bits of lots of composers' repertoire yeah. that just don't get explored quite often. It sounds more sort of Hollywood than it really is. But then we had a soul-crushing moment the other day when the CD got reviewed in BBC Music. Very nice review. But mm. the reviewer somehow was the only person in the world who happened to know about a recording from the early 70s by the Della no. So our bubble got burst very publicly. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. One of the very few recordings of, yeah. Yes. <laughs> So rather more often encountered, I guess, is the this Thule, isn't it? The period, or possibly Thule, the period of cosmography, which is this amazing sort of globe-crossing thing with volcanoes and I don't know what else. It seems really different to a lot of the more everyday, almost mundane texts, which are just sort of ordinary people, unlucky in love and so on and so forth. Is that significant, this kind of weird and wonderful traveller's tales? Is that unusual? Yes and no. I mean, it, uh, this is the age of exploration. Um, mm. uh, the, the, you know, uh, we, we did a project a few years ago Google, called The World Encompassed, which took Francis Drake's circumnavigation of the globe, which he completed in 1580. And all that exoticism that, that Drake encountered came back with him. And, you know, the, 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 the Elizabethans were, were fascinated by by the world and by all these strange things that were out there, which had never been heard of, thought of, um, considered before. And so I think the, the, the poem for Thule is, um, is really part of that, that kind of wonder at, at the world and how, how big it has suddenly become. And yet, of course, the, 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 the payoff line of it is, is not that. It is that, that actually we, we humans inside are more interesting than all that wonder that, that, that there is. A, so, I mean, it's a fantastic poem and, mm -hmm. and marvellous setting. I mean, really, really great to hear it the other night, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of, for me, it's like the kind of, um, it's kind of the box, the packaging is the normal kind of my heart fries with love kind of thing. It is that sort of basic thing, but it's it's a chance to show off all these explorations. And I think, I'd correct me if I'm wrong, Richard, but I suspect at that time it wasn't very easy to communicate all of these discoveries and adventures in a way that would get round to everyone. So I wonder, partly as well, 
I could imagine people kind of learning of some of these things through the medium of domestic singing. And yes, I can, and, I can well imagine that. Yes, uh, uh, I mean, th- there were a, um, there were some accounts of Drake's circumnavigation, but sort of several years afterwards, actually, it was sort of the fifteen nineties when when uh, the the accounts were published. Yeah. So you alluded earlier to the In Nominees by Wills, which are a few selections of this huge number of pieces. It always amazes me. They're all based on one phrase from one piece, which is this Mass mm. Vitality. Why did that happen? Why that one line? Yeah. Um, do we know? No, we don't. No, absolutely no idea why, why that particular... There isn't like a sort of initial set that somebody wrote and then everybody just took it and ran with it? Well, I, I mean, so it, it's taken from um, the... So it's a six-part mass by, mm. by Tavener, uh, based on Gloria Tibi Trinitas' plain chant. And the only place where the whole plain chant is is uh, stated in, in its entirety is in the Benedictus, Benedictus qui venit in nomine domine. So that's mm. where the in nomine title comes from, um, which actually confused musicologists until quite recently, actually. And so this four, and it's a four-part bit, and it's really, really beautiful. I mean, it is absolutely sort of perfect and, and fabulous. And there were some very early uh, settings of it, by, particularly by Christopher Ty, who wrote mm. like 20 mm. different... Yes, uh, there was an album of them a little while ago, I think, The Complete Ones, yeah. Purple Cover. Yeah, yeah that's right. And there, there's no particular reason why that particular uh, plain chant became so popular, but... Mm. It just did, and it kept on going. And even after, you know, even after the into the 17th century, you get composers like William Laws. For you. William Laws is a good good example because he obviously didn't quite know where the nomine came from because he wrote one that was not on on the plain chants, that not on the nomine plain chant, not not on the Gloria Tributaritas, but on another one, and he called it nomine, in nomine, you put it. And then he then obviously someone came came to him and and whispered in his ear and he crossed that in nominee and he put on the plain chant. So, uh, uh, so there was obviously by the, by the 17th century, some confusion as to mm. where it all came from. And it ends up with Purcell in 1680, writing two of the best in nominees mm. ever written by anybody in six and seven parts. And, um, you know, that's sort of where that's the end end of it, the end of the story. But it's an amazing story that goes mm. from, you know, 1520 to 1680. And, and the best composers, you know, Gibbons, Laws, Jenkins, Purcell, you know, you name them. They, they wrote them, Bird, Wilkes, you know, and so on.
Richard, have any modern composers written in nominees? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, Gavin Bryars wrote a fab- fabulous one, actually, uh, uh, based on Purcell. Actually, that's okay. uh, that's very good. And um, Nico Muley wrote wrote one for us called Slow, which, which is a real nominee, which has the the nominee um, theme in the top, but yeah. it sounds very different from 16th century people. Yeah. Nice. Yes, I can imagine this would be the sort of thing that somebody like yourselves would would jump at the idea of commissioning some new ones. For the, yeah. for the same forces, yeah. Yeah, indeed, yeah. So actually, yeah, speaking of commissions, there's two on this album. There's the uh, Macmillan and the Roderick Williams. How did that sort of work? Is that quite a collaborative thing where you're feeding back and, and toing and throwing between the ensembles and the composers, or do you just say, we'd like a piece, please, and off they go? It varies. In the, in this particular mm-hmm. instance, um, they kind of went off and came back with some really great stuff. Mm-hmm. There was very little to fiddle with at all. Occasionally, I think we're both groups who commission a lot of music. Mm. It's sort of part of the DNA for both of us, um, which is another reason it made sense to collaborate. But yeah, I think in some cases you go to composers who don't maybe often write for your forces and you have to do a little bit of kind of workshopping of a piece before it's doable. For both Roddy, who himself is a singer and has been very involved in choral music and early music, and also for James, who is just sort of phenomenally talented, skilled technical composer, they just kind of got it. And I guess for your vile parts, there were reasonably hard passages in both for different reasons. And they were vocally challenging in different ways. But both pieces came back in a state where it's just great. This, this yeah, there, there was one there was one passage that uh, Emilia the, the, for the treble vowel, which was which was really ungrateful. And she um, she wrote to James and. He he was he had no trouble at all in in adapting it and and changing it to to his liking and um, few composers are are really mm, sort of understand the viol in the way that 16th and 17th century composers would have done you know mm. we sometimes need a little bit you know a bit more input from us yes yeah, so I was going to say you'd expect to need to give maybe a little crash course yes yeah, so, I mean it I'm used to it. Composers are very, very different. Uh, mm. uh, I mean, the first, first, um, the first modern piece we had was by George Benjamin, and he came along. I went along to his house and I demonstrated the viol to him and showed what it could and couldn't do, and so on. And he went away and produced charts of what, uh, what was what was possible, chordal, uh, chordal charts and what sort of thing, and came up with an absolutely, an, well, a masterpiece and, uh, and something that was absolutely playable, even though it was very, very hard. And it took us probably about 10 years to be able to get on top of it. But, um, you know, it, it, he, whereas other composers like Michael Nyman um, just went away and wrote it. And if there was anything we couldn't, you know, that wouldn't work, he said, oh, we'll just change it to, you know, whatever makes makes sense. He's very, mm. very flexible about mm. it. So and within those those two opposites, we, you know, there's all sorts of um, variations, you know. I guess the inspiration for these two particular commissions on this one is that both Bird and Wilkes famously wrote elegies for their mm. teachers, for their mentors when they passed away. So for Bird, that was Talis, and for Wilkes, that was Morley. Mm. And yet neither of them had an elegy written on their death. So we kind of wanted to make a little chain that links them into the present with composers who share some kind of connection with them today, who are kind of leading lights. And it's yeah, the, the pieces are very different, but both mm. very effective. Yes.
Thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you. Yeah, a pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation. I certainly enjoyed being part of it. The album itself actually came out back in January, and it's since had lots of nice things said about it by BBC Music Magazine and Gramophone. It's available on CD, to download, including in high res, and to stream on the new Presto streaming app.